We're so glad that you are checking out this sermon from New Beginnings. Our vision as a church is to become an authentic biblical community that transforms our city and impacts the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We do this through gathering in worship, growing through community, giving to the kingdom, and going on mission. We know that one of the greatest blessings of the church is getting to pursue this vision that God has given us together. My hope is that we would get the opportunity to connect with you in person and get you plugged into the life of our church. Also, if you have been blessed by the ministries of New Beginnings, we ask that you would consider supporting us financially. You can do so by clicking on the giving tab of our website, nvbctx.org. I pray that you are both encouraged and challenged by the scripture today. Man, I don't know about you, but I am always pumped and excited to be here on a Sunday morning hanging out with you guys. It's one of my favorite places to be. Uh, so have you enjoyed the series called Reset? Have you guys enjoyed that or am I the only one? Because I don't know about you, but there are many days that I wake up and I thank God that his mercies are new and that I can hit reset and start the day over and, and do it again anew and afresh. And so today we are going to wrap up this series called Reset. And, and this is week three, and it has been an incredible, incredible series. And so let me ask you this. How many of you know that the world we live in, it's, hard, it's full of distractions, that it's hard to focus? Anybody, have you, any of you out there have a hard time focusing uh, every now and then from time to time? We've got these little devices that are always buzzing and binging and dinging and all these things that are coming in. We've got our kids and all of their toys and the noise. We've got the TV and the sports and the social media and all of these things that are screaming and yelling for our attention. Everybody wants our attention. And when everybody wants our attention, it is hard for us to focus. See, in the world of athletics, one of the hardest things to do is to, to stay focused and to refocus once you've lost it. And that's one of the greatest challenges that you'll see with athletes, whether it's leading up to the Super Bowl that's coming up this next week. One of the, one of the greatest challenges for those coaches is to keep his players focused on the task at hand and not get distracted by the media and all of the fans and all of the parties and all of the noise and all of the things that are going on. That coach wants his players to stay focused on the task at hand. And that's what we're going to be talking about today is refocusing our lives. We've talked about refresh. We've talked about refuel. And today we're going to talk about refocus. Everybody say refocus. refocus. Well, that's where we're headed today. Let me give you the definition of refocus. It's right here on the screens. Here's what it says. It says to refocus is to adjust something or to cause something such as our attention to be directed at something different or to focus again. In college, I had the opportunity to play a little bit of football, but I ran track and field for four years. And for a few of those years, I was a decathlete. A decathlete, if you're not familiar with that, does 10 events. So we did high jump, long jump, shot put, discus, javelin, and pole vault. And then we ran four events. We ran the 100 meters, the 110 hurdles, the 400 meters, and then the dreaded 1500. So 100 meters short of a mile. And so here's what that looked like. We did those 10 events over the course of two days. Everybody else on my team would just show up the second day 
and do their one or two events, and I'm already beat down and exhausted, and they're looking at me like, why are you so tired? And I'm like, do you realize I've already done six events to the, yesterday? And so the, the, the way that the decathlon would work is that you would do all nine events, and then the last event on the second day, at the end of the day, was the 1500, the longest race. And I dreaded it. Every time I would sit there and go, man, why am I here? Why am I doing this? What, what, why did I sign up for this? Coach, can you just put me in one event next time? And so my coach, Coach G was her name. Gina was her real first name, and her last name was Bucarina. There you go. You like that one? So we shortened it, and we just called her Coach G. Coach G was from Russia. She ran in the 78 Olympics the year that I was born, and she ran the hurdles for Russia. And so she was an incredible coach. She knew how to train us. She knew how to, she knew how to prepare us for the race ahead of us and for whatever we were going to be challenged with at those track meets. And I can remember her, I can still hear it to this day with her strong Russian accent, is she would look at me and she would say, Daniel, I need you to focus I need you to stop looking around at all the distractions. I need you to stop looking at this runner or that runner. I need you to stop worrying about all the noise and all the distractions. I need you to focus and run your race. Don't let anything else throw you off of your course. Don't let anyone else push you harder than you should go at the beginning. You know how you should run. You know yourself well enough. Now run your race. I need you to focus. All of us need a coach like that at times, don't we? As we run this race called life, we need someone to come along and say, I need you to focus. I need you to quit looking around at everybody else's social media streams. I need you to quit comparing yourself to everyone else. I need you to quit looking at these things, thinking that you can't do it. And I need you to run your race. The writer that we're going to look at today is writing to a group of Christians, second generation Christians, that were Jews and Gentiles living in a Roman region in the book of Hebrews. And this writer of Hebrews is writing to these second generation Christians and they've grown tired and weary, kind of like me on that second day of the decathlon. I was tired and I was weary. How many of you know when you're running the race, when you're tired and weary, it's easy to lose focus? When you're tired and beat down and beat up, it is very, very easy to lose sight of why you started this thing in the first place. And you start asking yourself, why am I here? Why did I sign up for this? Or who signed me up for this? Why am I doing these Things. And that is what the writer of Hebrews wants these second generation Christians to know. He wants them to be encouraged. He wants them to remember why they started running in the first place. He wants them to understand the race that is set before them. Because when you're tired and weary, it is easy to lose focus. And so they needed a coach, a lot like you and I. They needed a coach, someone to come along and tell them, hey, keep going. They needed someone to help them refocus and run their race. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Hebrews chapter 12 is where we're going to be camping out for today. Hebrews chapter 12, we're going to be starting in verse 1. 
And here's what it says in verse 1. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. Consider him now who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Would you pray with me? Father, this is your word. We pray that your Holy Spirit would just stir in our hearts and in our minds, God, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear, but more importantly, hearts that understand and fall more in love with you today. God, I pray that your Spirit would wake us up and help us to refocus. Help us to fix our eyes on you and run the race that you have set before us. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. And everybody said... You see, in the world of track and field or in the world of running, I, I love the sprints. I love the fast races. I love the relays because that's what I was a part of for so long. But the author of Hebrews is not talking about a fast race at all. In fact, he's talking about something more like a marathon. He says that the Christian life, this race that you are running, this race that you've set out on is a lot like a marathon. It's not a 100-yard dash. It's not even a 400 or that 1,500 that I hated so much. He says, no, this is much further and much harder than that little thing. He says, I want you to know that this race that you've been called to run is a lot more like a marathon. In fact, the word that we see in the original Greek writing is this word agon. And that word agon is where we get our word agony from. That's encouraging, right? Like there's going to be some agonizing over this race that you're about to run. Any of you in the race of life ever go through some agonizing, painful seasons in life where you're going, man, who signed me up for this? Like, I didn't, I didn't ask for this, right? But that is the word that Paul or the writer in Hebrews uses to describe this race that we're called to run. In fact, the word that he used there was used to refer to a, a Roman event called, not the decathlon like I did, but the pentathlon. And a pentathlon is this. It was a, a five-event sporting match that ended with a Greco-Roman boxing match. So imagine the Olympics, imagine someone like maybe Michael Phelps, the swimmer, everybody know Michael Phelps? Imagine him being able to run and then also jumping in the pool and swimming the way that he swims and maybe doing two other events. And then imagine someone like Michael Phelps getting out of the pool, walking over to the ring, strapping on some leather gloves and going against the French guy that was talking trash in the Olympics. And he lines up in the ring, and he starts going at it with this guy. These, these gloves that they would wear, they were only meant to protect the hand, but they were also meant to destroy the face of the opponent. And so you can see this pentathlon that ended with a Greco-Roman boxing match where you were going toe-to-toe with your opponent. It was an agonizing event. Not only are you tired and exhausted from all of the other events that you have competed in, but now you're in the ring getting your face pounded on. That sounds fun, doesn't it? 
That sounds like a lot of fun. I think we should go back to that event in the Olympics. That'd be fun to watch. So imagine that, if you will, like going toe-to-toe. It, it was an agonizing event, and that's what this writer is telling us that life is like. He's saying, listen, this race that you are called to run, it's a lot like that. Like it's going to be agonizing. There's go- it's going to be grueling. There are going to be some days that you just want to throw in the towel and give up. In other words, the writer is saying this. If you haven't figured this out yet, this thing called the Christian life, it's hard. It it can be agonizing at times. You're going to go through some tough days. In fact, many of you, that's where you're at right now. If you were being honest in this place today, you'd say, man, I'm in a difficult season I'm in this journey and I feel like I'm running this race, but man, I don't feel like I'm going very fast or going very far. I feel like I've hit a wall is what marathoners would call it. Like I don't feel like I can keep going. Everything in me wants to quit. Everything in my body hurts because of this agonizing race that I'm running. Some of you, if you find yourself in that difficult season, may be asking this question. How am I supposed to keep going when everything in me wants to quit? How can I push through? How can I refocus? How can I keep going? Good question. This morning, I want us to look at three things. Everybody say three. Three Three things that I believe will help us refocus and run the race that God has called us to run. First thing is this, if you're taking notes, first thing that we see in Hebrews 12, if we are going to refocus, is that we need to consider the witnesses. He says, therefore, in verse 1, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, who are these witnesses, you might ask? Well, at the very first word of that verse, he says, therefore, I don't know if you've heard this before. Preachers say this all the time. It's not original. Uh, I'm not going to try to claim that I, I created this. But anytime you see the word therefore, you're supposed to stop and ask, what's that therefore? Why is that there? And what this word therefore at the beginning of chapter 12 is doing, he's saying it's pointing us backwards. He's saying therefore in light of what you just heard me say in chapter 11, and in light of all of those people that I just mentioned, I want you to look back at those witnesses, those people. In fact, Hebrews chapter 11 is known as the Hall of Faith, right? It is talking about these amazing, incredible heroes of the faith that have gone before us, that have seen God do the impossible, that have done great things. And then there are also those people that have ran this race in Hebrews 11. It says that they didn't see the promises of God fulfilled on this earth, but they were looking to greater things. They weren't running for these temporary prizes that we chase after. They were running for something far greater, something eternal. And they didn't get what they thought they were going to get on earth, but they got something far greater. He's saying, in light of that, I want you to look back to these witnesses. I want you to consider these witnesses. These are the faithful ones. They're the ones who've been there and done that. You know, there's there's something about being able to see something or someone that goes before you and that does the impossible. Someone that goes and does something that you didn't think could be done. 
And it's when we see something like that that we get this incredible courage, this incredible confidence. It, it fuels us. It strengthens us. It, it breathes new life into us where we see someone else and we go, now I, I see what they've done and I know that it can be done. In fact, in 1954, Roger Bannister did the impossible. He was the first person in the history of track and field to break the four-minute mile. Some of you may remember that. Some of you, uh, if you're a sports enthusiast, you may know this. But he broke the four-minute mile, and everyone had thought that that was impossible. They'd been chasing after this goal for years. He broke that time with a minute of, uh, at the time of three minutes and 59 seconds. Now, for us in this day and age, we go, yeah, it's it happens all the time. That's not that big of a deal. Now, let me tell you how big of a deal it was. In the world of track and field, they had been chasing this unreachable goal since 1886. Since 1886, and this is now 1954, when Rogers, Roger Bannister broke this goal. He did the impossible you see, it was an impossible task until he did it. And only 46 days later, someone broke his goal, his record. So it, it had been years and years and decades and decades, and everyone thought that this was impossible to do. Roger Bannister breaks it by one second, and then 40, 46 days later, someone else comes along and breaks his record. And then one year later, three runners in the same race break that record. You see, what, it want, what once was impossible now didn't seem so unreachable, so impossible. You see, these guys had seen it done, and so they, they realized, no, it, it, it can be done. They had seen this thing happen. Why is this important for us when we look at what we're talking about in Hebrews chapter 12? Well, the writer of Hebrews is pointing us to some others who have done what seemed to be impossible. He's pointing us to them and he's saying, listen, these are the ones who have gone before you. You need to look at them and when looking at them, you might find courage and confidence to keep going, to keep running, to not give up, to not stop, to not throw in the towel. He wanted these second generation Christians that were facing extreme persecution and hardship to look at these witnesses and go, hey, they went through some similar things. And they, say, they saw God do some of the impossible things. And then there were others that even in spite of all of the pain and all of the hardship and all of the agonizing, grueling things that they went through, they kept moving. They kept running. And so I believe he's saying the same thing to us today as we look back at these witnesses. As, in order for us to refocus, as we consider these witnesses, we look back and we see guys like Abraham. Abraham was a man that God called and he asked, and he asked Abraham, God called Abraham and asked him to step away from his family, to walk away from his home area, his hometown, his home community, to leave everything he had ever known and to go just wherever God led him. And Abraham was willing to do it. We see Abraham also trust God with these promises, even though he had to wait a long time, even though it seemed impossible. When God said, I, I'm going to bless you and you'll have, I'm going to bless many nations through you, Abraham's going, I don't know how, God, I don't have any children. And God says, trust me, I'm going to bless you and all nations will be blessed through you. And Abraham waited a very long time. Abraham understood what it was like to wait. 
So we can look at his life and we can go, okay, God, I, I see Abraham's life. I see what you did. You asked him to walk away from everything he had ever known. You promised him something and then you asked him to wait a long time. So God, when you ask me to walk away from some things, I can walk away from some things because I look back and I see the witness of Abraham's life. God, when you promise me something and you ask me to wait, God, I can wait on your promises because I know that you're a God who keeps his promises. And so in those moments, I'm not afraid to walk away. I'm not afraid to wait because I look back at the witness of Abraham's life and I can say, okay, God, I see it. I see what you did then and I know you can do it again. We also can look at guys like Moses. Moses had a a lot of things going on for him, but he also had some struggles and some issues with his life. God called him to go and and to, to deliver a nation from slavery and bondage. But before that, Moses had grown up in the the plush palace of Egypt. And then God asked him to step away and leave all of the worldly wealth and all of the possessions behind for something far greater. And so when we look at Moses' life, we can see that there's someone else who God asked to walk away from worldly pleasures and leave it all behind because of the promises and the things that God was promising him in the future. So when, we, when God asks us to, to walk away from some possessions and some worldly wealth, we can look at the witness of, of Moses and we go, okay, you've done it before, God, and I see how you worked in Moses' life, and I can also trust you in this situation, knowing that I can walk away from some things, knowing that I don't need all the, this stuff. We see Rahab, for example, in here. This is a, a woman who had a label. She had a past. And when we look at Rahab, we can go, okay, there's a woman that has a past, but she did not let her past define her. She kept trusting, kept moving forward, and looked to the promises of God. And so she's considered this incredible hero of the faith because she did not let her past define her future. We can look to these witnesses, and and that's what the writer of Hebrews is wanting us to understand. He's wanting his audience, these second generation Christians, to know that they can move forward, as they move forward on this faith journey, that there's going to be some difficult days, there's going to be some hurdles, there's going to be some obstacles along the way, there's going to be some seasons that are filled with struggle. There's going to be some pain, there's going to be some strife, but in those moments when you think it's impossible, I want you to look back and consider the witnesses. And here's what that does for us. It gives us, in 2020, the confidence to keep going, knowing that it's not impossible, that God is the God of the impossible, that He is the mountain mover, that He goes before us, and that He is the one that does all of this. We just have to trust Him and keep running after Him. There's no doubt that this thing called life is hard. But let's be honest. Most of us will never face extreme hardship and persecution the way that those people did in Hebrews chapter 11. Or even in the the second generation Christians in Rome with all that they went through where they they were being burned at the stake. They were using them as lanterns to light up the streets. Most of us will never face that type of persecution and that type of hardship. But we will go through some difficult things. And let's be honest, sometimes we, we make it harder on ourselves, don't we? Sometimes we, 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 uh, we make this thing, this race, a little bit more difficult. Here's what I mean. We try to compete and we try to run this race with a lot of stuff that ultimately slows us down. 
we make some dumb choices that, that weigh us down and even trip us up along the way. In fact, Paul, a writer here, calls them hindrances. A hindrance is this. It is something that interferes, that holds you back, and that slows you down. Did you know in, in the world, of, since we're talking about sports, but in the world of Olympic swimming, did you know, you know, you see these swimmers and most of the time they, they have, like, they put a swim cap on, they have no body hair, so they shave everything off, and they wear hardly any clothing, right? But did you know in the world of Olympic swimming, it's not illegal or against the rules for you to have long hair, for you to have a full beard, guys, uh, for you to wear jeans and boots if you want. Now, would that be very effective? No, it's a lot of unnecessary weight that creates drag in the water that would slow you down. So what these swimmers have done is they've realized that I need to eliminate anything extra that's going to create drag. I need to eliminate anything that's going to weigh me down or slow me down in the water. And that's what Paul's talking about in this text. He's, he's saying, listen, he says this in the, ver- the second part of verse 1. He says, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings, to, which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So as we run this race, we need to, second point is this, lay aside the hindrances. He says, let us lay it aside. Let us get rid of it. Let us remove it so that it doesn't slow us down. What is a hindrance? It is anything that is interfering with your race. It is anything that is holding you back. It is anything that is slowing us down. So what is it? Anything, right? Anything that slows you down, anything that holds you back, anything that is interfering with your race. You see, so often in the Christian life, we, we look at the life and we, at this life that God's called us to live, and we think, what do I have to give up because it is sin? But this word weight comes before the word sin in this text. He says that this weight, is, it's the pair of jeans and the boots that you're trying to swim with. In other words, it's not sin, it's not wrong, it's not illegal, it's not against the rules, but it's weight. It's creating drag in your life, it's slowing you down, you're not effective, you're not efficient, and you're just kind of moseying along because you've got so much weight on you. And so he wants us to be honest with ourselves. And I think it's good for us to come together and talk about what is these weight, what does some of these weights look like in our lives what are some of these weights that are slowing us down, that are hindrances, Paul would say, in our lives as we run this race? We have our hobbies. We have our possessions. And they are fine in and of themselves, and they are not sin. I want you to hear me clearly on this this morning, New Beginnings. I'm not saying that your golf game or your hunting or your whatever hobby it is that you love is a sin in your life. Don't hear me say that because I'm not saying that. It's not a sin in and of itself. We have social media and Netflix and now Disney Plus for crying out loud, right? Y'all got to admit, who has Disney Plus? Come on now, participate with me. Somebody did this. 
They didn't want me to see it. We, I, I've got Disney Plus. My boys talked me into it. It was a Christmas present for them. But we've got Disney Plus. We've got all these things. We've got travel ball. We've got club sports because baby boy's going to be the next Steph Curry, right? I hope so. I hope so. But it's a long shot. You see, none of these things are bad things in and of themselves, per se. But I would say this, is that they can easily become weights in our lives. They can quickly become hindrances that slow us down and eventually keep us from running at all. In the world of sports performance and training, I can remember off-season with track and field and conditioning, and I used to own a sports training facility a long, long time ago before I went into ministry. And we would sometimes take runners that were good and that were strong and that were fast, and we would do some crazy things, like we would put a weighted vest on them. And we'd say, hey, I want you to run this far now with this weighted vest on. And then sometimes we'd say, I want you to get, put the weighted vest on, and I want you to run in the sand pit. So now you've got this weight and you're running on an unstable surface that your feet are sinking into and it's a lot of resistance. It's a lot harder. Then at times we'd say, hey, now I want you to go out there with a weighted vest on and I want you to get on the field and I'm going to give you a sled with a bunch of weights on it and I want you to drag that sled up and down the football field to create a lot of resistance so that you might hopefully get stronger, right? You see, but they could not run the way that they would normally run without all that stuff. When we put that weight on them, it slowed them way down. In fact, it would wear them out to a point where they go, man, I I can't go anymore. Like my legs are dead. I I feel like I'm going to throw up. I am done. I know that's kind of a strange illustration, but I would say to some of us today, when I talk to people every week in my office and I look at their lives and they start telling me and describing me about their schedule and their life and all the things that they're doing, I sit there and write them down and I go, man, I don't see how you're even functioning right now. You are overloaded. You have so much weight in your life, so many things and so little time to do any of it. uh, What do you expect? You're exhausted. You're worn out. Your marriage is falling apart because you're giving yourself to everything else but not giving yourself to the things that matter most. You are spread thin and you're going to crumble. It's a strange thing when you see this, but this is what we do to ourselves. We think that we can run an effective race with all of this weight on. And the reality is this, you could run for a little while, but you're not going to make it very far. You're going to give out. Something's got to give, right? So here's what I want us to do for just a brief moment this morning as we think about refocusing and running this race in 2020 that God has set before us. And we see that we can look to the witnesses, not only in the past, but even around us, we can see witnesses that are doing things right, that are running an effective race. And we can take courage and be, uh, be, uh, have confidence because of the witnesses that we see. And we can look at the weight in our lives and we can start to go, okay, I see this for what it is. It's not wrong. It's not sin, but it's weighing me down. I want us to ask ourselves this question. You don't have to answer out loud, but I want you to sit there and ponder this thought for just a moment. What are some weights in my life? 
What in my life is a hindrance and slowing me down from running hard and fast after the things of God? Just think about that for a second. Here's what I want us to know this morning is that not everything that's acceptable is beneficial. Did you catch that? In a world where everything seems to be acceptable these days does not mean that everything is for my good. You see, there's nothing wrong with uh, when I ran track and field in college. There's nothing wrong with me. Uh, It wasn't against the rules. It wasn't uh, against... Uh, my coach's rules for me to eat a dozen donuts the night before the race or a large pizza right before I ran it would I mean in any other situation you're like man pizza's good right donuts are good it's not a bad thing it's not wrong it's not sinful but man it's not very beneficial you're not going to run very well you're going to feel like garbage see everything is acceptable these days, but not everything is beneficial. Not everything is for our good. So we need to evaluate our lives. We need to look at the weight in our lives and go, man, this isn't wrong, but is it good? This isn't good for us as we try to run after these things that God has called us to run. And so Paul says, man, you need to strip away those weights. You need to get rid of those things because they're slowing you down and they're going to trip you up and they're going to keep you from running a very effective race. Let me say it another way. I believe that when we uh, realize this, when we realize that there's some weight in our lives that's holding us back, when we realize this, it will change the way that we view things in our life. Let me say it like this, when, when our eyes are focused on things above, the things below, the earthly things, will not carry much weight anymore. Amen. That's why Paul said it like this in 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he says, For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look Not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. What's Paul saying in 2 Corinthians? He's saying, listen, as you start to refocus and realign your life and you start to look towards the things of heaven, the eternal things, all the things of this world will start to lose a lot of their weight. They won't matter so much anymore. He says, if you focus on these little temporary things, they're all passing away. They're all going to fade away someday. They're temporary. The things that you can see now will be gone tomorrow. He says, let us focus on things that are unseen, for the unseen things are the eternal things. He says, that is our aim, that is our goal, that is what we're running after. Not the stuff that we can see, but the things that we can't see. I told the 8 o'clock hour, I said, people should look at your life and the race that you're running and the things that you're running after, and they should know that there is a big difference in the way that they're running and the way that you're running. They should see your life and go, man, the things that I care about so much over here, you don't really seem to care about that much. Like you're not consumed by this stuff. And you could look at them and say, you're exactly right. I'm running after a different prize. I'm running after something that really matters, something that's going to last forever. 
I'm not running after the things that this world runs after. This is not my home. I don't belong here. I'm running towards a heavenly home. I'm running towards the prize that God has called me towards, and that is Christ Jesus, and I'm running after him with everything that I have. He is my reward. He is my prize. You see, when our eyes are refocused, it becomes more about the eternal things than the temporary earthly things. You see, people of faith, the people that we read about in Hebrews 11, those are people that are consumed by the vision of eternity. They don't look at the things of this world. They look to the things of eternity. They know that all of this is fleeting. All of this is passing away. And so when they face hardship, they're like, bring it on. I can keep running straight through this because I know that this is temporary and my home is for in eternity with Christ Jesus, my Lord. See, I don't know about you, but there's coming a day where when I get to heaven, I want to run in such a way now that a thousand years from now, I'm going to be glad that I did. Let me say that again. There's, there's going to be a day in the future where I, I, I want... I want to run in such a way now on this earth that a thousand years from now I'll look back and go, man, I'm glad I ran like that. I sure am glad I ran after these unseen things and not these temporary things. A thousand years from now, you and I will be alive somewhere. And the way that we run now is going to matter. That's another way of saying that. You see, I don't want the things of this world to weigh me down and slow me down. D.L. Moody says it best. He says this. He says, our greatest fear should not be of failure, but of succeeding at something that doesn't really matter. We shouldn't be afraid of failure. You should be afraid of succeeding at all of these temporary things that do not matter these things that are fleeting, these things that are passing away. Philippians 3, Paul says it like this. He says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. What is Paul saying here in this text? He's saying this. He's saying, I have seen Jesus with my own eyes. And now all of the things that used to matter to me, all of the awards, all of the accolades, all of the education, all of the things that I was striving so hard to attain, that I was striving to, to accomplish, I count it all now as loss. I count it as garbage, as rubbish. It does not matter compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. He wants us to know that He is our reward. He is our treasure. He is what we're running after. And so the third and final thing that we must do if we are going to be a people that refocus and realign our lives and run after the things of God is we have to look to Jesus. Verse 2, he says this, he says now, you've con he, in verse 1, he says, you've considered the witnesses. Now, he says, I want you looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself 
so that you, that's you and you and you and you and me, so that you may not grow weary and faint-hearted. You see, whenever you and I start to grow weary on this race, whenever we start to get tired, whenever we start to question why we're doing the things we're doing, whenever we feel like throwing in the towel and quitting and giving up, Paul says, no, 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 don't stop, don't quit. Consider the one who ran before you. Consider the one who left his throne in heaven and came all the way to earth and ran straight to the cross for you. Consider him who endured such hardship, such difficulty, such pain and persecution for you. He's the one who started this process, in other words. And he's the one who's going to finish it. He says he is the founder of this thing called faith that you're running after. He is the one that has found it. He is the builder, the original designer, the architect, and he is also the perfecter and finisher of it. He started it, he has finished it, and so now it's not up to you and I to perform, to try to earn it in any way. He's saying, listen, you've got to trust the one who has ran before you, who is now seated on the throne. He says, let us fix our eyes on him. He's the author of it all. He's the perfecter of it all. He's finished it all. And so now all you have to do is keep putting one foot in front of the other, trusting him along the way. He's the one that endured the cross for you. He's the one that is seated by the Father. He's the one who endured such hostility from all of these other sinners. He's the one that that took on so much agony against himself so that you may not grow weary and faint-hearted. Why would Jesus do all this? Why would he endure so much? The verse tells us that it was for this joy. Did you see that? In verse 2, he says, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of, of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, What was that joy? That joy must have been something that he did not have yet. And I know that's hard to imagine because you're going, wait a minute, he was God in the flesh. He had everything at his disposal. He owned it all. He created it all. But you're telling me this morning that there was something that he did not have yet. Because it says that it was for the joy that was set before him that he went to the cross. Here's what I want you to hear this morning. You are his joy. You are that joy. You are the joy. You are the joy. When he hung on the cross, he looked down the corridor corridor of time and he saw each and every one of you. It wasn't the nails that kept him on that cross. It was the joy that kept him there. He could have got off that cross if he wanted to. But he said, I'm not getting off because I see them down there in 2020 in Gilmer, Texas. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hang here and I'm going to give up my life for them. They are my joy. They're the reason I came and they're the reason I'm dying. And they're the reason I'm going to walk out of that grave. Because I'm going to give them everlasting life. So when you look at the cross... Let it help you to refocus your life and say, man, you went all the way for me. How can I not run for you 
Would you pray for me? Would, would you pray with me? Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the way that you love us. Thank you that we can hit reset in our lives and we can refocus our minds and our hearts' affection on you. God, I pray if there's anyone in this room today that does not know you as Lord and Savior, that today would be the day that they start that race that they start running after you, that they say yes to you, that they realize that you, they were your joy, that, you are the ver- that they are the very reason you came, that you gave up your life for them so that they could be restored into right relationship with the Father. And so, Father, I pray today, if there's anyone in this place that does not know you, may they fix their eyes on you, the author and perfecter of their faith. May they surrender to you and may they run the race of a lifetime. For the rest of us, Father, that have been running this race for a while, God, we have a tendency to get distracted. We start looking around and God, we, uh, we tend to weigh ourselves down with so much meaningless stuff. God, I pray today for the believers in this room that we would evaluate our lives and go, God, what is slowing me down? What do I need to get rid of? What do I need to strip away in order, in order to run a more effective race for your kingdom and your glory. Spirit, stir in our hearts and in our lives today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I hope that you have enjoyed this message. If you have any questions about anything that you have heard today or would like to know more about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, feel free to call our church offices at 903 759 5552 or send us an email at info at nbbctx.org. As for staying up to date with what's going on at New Beginnings, follow us on our social media accounts. Have a great rest of your day.